Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, The Ball Bard and His Better Half. I'm Richard Meisel, The Ball Bard. And I'm Emily Meisel, His Better Half. So before we get started, do we have anything we need to talk about today? Um, not really. I mean, we're kind of early in our podcast, so we don't have any, like, fan news or anything. I hope we get some soon, though. Um, we did have a little bit of a fun Saturday. We went to the movies, saw the Eternals. It was very good, y'all. I'm not going to ruin it for anyone, but... You should stay for the credits after the movie if you go see Eternals. Of course. Marvel's notorious for that. Yeah. Also, it's like nine o'clock at night. Do we know where our children are? (laughs) Thankfully, we do. At least one's home. One's home in her bedroom. And the other one, the other one is at a bar being a very responsible adult, though, listening to a jazz concert because that's his jam lately. Tell him to call us if he needed a ride for any reason. So I think he will. Let's just hope we raised him right. Yeah. So, hey, babe, would you like to hear a story about the greatest sniper in the Russian army during World War II? Why, yes, I would. So this is our first episode. I'm about to jump into our story, but if you would like to learn more about World War II and the story I'm going to tell you today, here are the sources I used for this episode. NationalWorldWarTwoMuseum.org WarHistoryOnline.com SmithsonianMag.com and biographics on YouTube with Simon Whistler. It's 1939, and World War II is raging across Europe, Asia, and North Africa. Countries from every continent on Earth are sending soldiers and resources off to help fight the war. For our story, we're going to focus on the Russian army, and in particular, the women who would go on to serve in the army. Some would even go on to become sharpshooters and snipers. In fact, Over 2,000 women would eventually serve in these roles. Of those, only 500 would return home. It is one of those 500 that we will focus on today. She would go on to become what many consider to be the most successful female sniper in the history of modern warfare. Her name was Ludmila Pavlichenko. She was born in 1916, just outside of Kiev, Ukraine. By all accounts, she was a highly driven and competitive child. She loved to play outside and compete against the boys. Being a bit of a tomboy, she was often the target of taunting and challenges from the young boys she attended school with. Once, after hearing a young boy in her neighborhood brag about how good a shot he was, she began practicing herself and soon could outshoot all the boys in her school. Another great tale of her youth, of how good a shot she was, comes from a time when she went to a local fair. Like most fairs, there was a shooting gallery game. She watched as boy after boy took their turn at at shooting the targets. When it was her turn, the game operator and the boys close by looked at her and laughed. As she took aim, she calmly took shot after shot and hit every target she aimed at. By the time she was done, she had hit a dozen targets and collected a prize for each one. She took pity on the game operator and without much fanfare, she gave all the prizes back and walked away. She had proved her point without having to say a word. When she is 14, her family moved to the larger city of Kiev. Eventually, she found her way to the local shooting club, where she would find a way to earn several marksmanship certificates. As she got a little older, she wound up taking a job at the arms and munitions plant, where she learned the ins and outs of the rifles she loved to shoot. She had plans to go to college and become a teacher, but war broke out. And like many women in her country, She wanted to volunteer to do her part. When she first enlisted, they tried to make her a nurse, but she was determined not to be sidelined. She wanted a combat role. 
she insisted that she be given an opportunity to earn that role. When asked what she thought she was good at, she told them of her exploits in the shooting range. So she was eventually given an opportunity to become a sharpshooter or sniper. There's a common misconception from this time period about Russian women. Many people think that every industrialized society at the time was similar to that of the United States or even England. There, gender roles were very defined. Men went to work to be the providers, and women stayed at home to raise the children and keep house. The reality was a little different in Russia. While women did tend to marry young and have children at an early age, they were also expected to go to work and help provide for the family, especially in times of crisis. I'm sure you've all heard the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, the elders of the towns and villages in Russia took this literally and helped to raise the children of the communities so that the more able-bodied men and women could go to work. That meant that when war broke out between Russia and Germany, women were already in the factories. So making the transition to wartime manufacturing, even though the men had rushed off to go to war, was much easier. It also meant that the women of Russia would be looking to take, on, take a much more active role in support of their country. Like most women who tried to be a part of active combat, Pavlichenko was picked on and tested on a daily basis by the men in her outfit. But she was not about to give up. She kept proving her skill with the rifle and passing test after test. As Germany began its invasion of Russia, she and the rest of the Russian army were forced into action. Even so, the officers in her unit wanted her out. She knew that if she made any kind of mistake, not only was there the possibility they would take away what she wanted to do, but that, they, that she would more than likely be killed. Her commanding officers decided her to get what they thought would be an impossible task, assuming she would fail and they would be able to get rid of her. She was told to take out two enemy soldiers on a nearby hill. This was really unfair because most snipers took multiple shots to make a kill and trying to kill multiple soldiers at once could give away her position and cause the other to duck or run. But like any good soldier would, she followed her orders and was determined to see her mission through. As it turns out, she was so skilled and so quick, she was able to complete her mission by taking out both targets with a single kill shot to the head for each of them. From that moment on, she was no longer doubted. For the next two and a half months, Pavlichenko fought on the front lines during the siege of Odessa, where she recorded 187 kills and received a promotion to senior sergeant. As the Russian army retreated under the onslaught of the German Blitzkrieg, Pavlichenko and her unit would regroup and fight again in the siege of Sevastopol. For eight months, she battled alongside her comrades as the casualties continued to pile up. Yet somehow, she managed to continue to rack up kills and survive. By the summer of 1942, Pavlichenko had recorded 257 kills, which gained her another promotion to lieutenant. The higher the number of confirmed kills, the more dangerous her missions became. This included counter-sniping or engaging in duels with enemy snipers. One duel lasted three days. In the end, as she would tell her superiors, the enemy made one move too many and he became one of the 36 snipers she took out. While fighting in Sevastopol, she was wounded by shrapnel from a mortar round that struck her in the face. The military saw Pavlichenko as too valuable an asset to leave her on the front lines. So before she could return to active duty, they withdrew her from battle. By the time they pulled her from the front lines, 
she had recorded 309 confirmed kills. This had earned her the nickname Lady Death. The German army had attempted to bribe her, calling out messages over, the, over radio loudspeakers saying things like, Ludmila Pavlichenko, come over to us. We will give you plenty of chocolate and make you a German officer. When the bribes didn't work, they turned to threats. If we catch you, we will tear you into 309 pieces and scatter them to the winds. When she heard this, she said she was only happy to hear the enemy accurately knew her record. Now fully healed, she was given a new role by the Soviet high command, propagandist. That summer, she traveled to the United States for a public speaking tour. She knew no English, but like earning her job as a sniper, she knew she needed to do what she needed to do and was determined to get the job done. On a side note, one of the reasons President Roosevelt thought that it was a good idea for her to come and tell her story was that he had hoped it would inspire the men of America to fight because secretly he thought they would not want to be shown up by a woman. As the tour began, she did her best to tell her story through her translator. Ultimately, out of fear and ignorance, she wound up being asked rude and sexist questions like, why don't you wear makeup? Why don't you fix your hair? Why don't you dress prettier? At first, she tried to blow off the questions as they were translated to her. She was frustrated, but not willing to let it show outwardly. Luckily for her, the president's wife, Eleanor Roosevelt, was along for the tour. She too did not appreciate how the reporters, mostly men, were treating and questioning this heroic woman in her opinion. She decided to reach out and try and befriend the Russian. It was a welcome relief and safe haven, safe haven for the soldier. Roosevelt began to help her out with how to deal with the press and helped her learn some English. As she got better at speaking in public, she learned some quick comebacks for the questions that followed each stop. One of her best quotes was, Gentlemen, I am 25 years old, and I have killed 309 fascists by now. Don't you think, gentlemen, that you have been hiding behind my back for too long? By the time the tour finished up at the end of the summer, she and Mrs. Roosevelt had developed what many would consider a lifelong friendship. The type of friendship that no matter the distance or time apart, when you see each other again, it's like no time has passed at all. Upon her return to the Soviet Union, Pavlichenko was promoted to major and given the title of Hero of the Soviet Union, the country's highest military distinction. She also received the Order of Lenin twice, the country's highest civilian designation. She never returned to combat, but instead went on to train other Soviet snipers until the war ended in 1945. Once the war was over, she went back to college to complete her studies and became a history teacher. Like many who served, she suffered from depression and other undiagnosed mental illnesses. She never could find the same satisfaction in her post-war career that she had while she was in the army. And not a ton of information is known about her life after the war. Sadly, she died in 1974 due to complications from a stroke. In Russia, she was honored with a second commemorative stamp and was remembered for her outstanding service and achievements. She had gone down as one of, if not, the greatest snipers of all time. But what of her friendship with Eleanor Roosevelt? Well, that's the story within the story. Fifteen years after the war ended, at the height of the Cold War, Eleanor Roosevelt went on a diplomatic tour in Russia. 
She insisted to anyone who would listen that they find Pavlichenko and set up a meeting, a meeting between the two of them. The Russian government was hesitant at first over their fears that Roosevelt would try to plant too many seeds of westernization and democracy with such a high profile and influential world war hero. But her persistence paid off and eventually the two women got a chance to meet again. Roosevelt could tell time had taken its toll on her friend and she wanted to have the opportunity to speak openly and freely with her. But tensions being what they were, they were being watched at all times. Through a little manipulation, the women managed to get away and find a private place and share some time together, reflecting on their summer in America. By all accounts, they laughed and shared stories as if no time had passed at all. A true friendship rekindled and more than likely one of the last times Pavlichenko was truly happy. Okay, babe. Is that your story? That's it. I like her. Yeah, she's a pretty interesting person. I like her a lot. Yeah, when I started looking for people to research and try to do stories on, you know, I was trying to find folks. In fact, I just Googled people that history had forgotten. And so I wanted to find somebody that maybe wasn't as well-known. Of course, World War II is extremely well-known in the history yeah. books, but they don't. you don't often hear the little individual stories from people's time and their military experience and that kind of stuff. And when I saw... Not only what role this lady had, but also her nickname. I know, Lady I had Death. To do some more research on her. Such a cool name. And I just, yeah. So, what our listeners probably don't know. Um, we had talked about how you're going to tell me the story, and then I'm going to take notes, and then we're going to have a little conversation. Because you know I have tons of questions. Anybody who knows us, which most of our listeners of our free free episodes are going to know us, know that I have a tendency to interrupt him, not let him finish the story. And so it was going to be, let's let him tell the story and then I get to ask questions. Folks, this is glorious, by the way. I got an uninterrupted five to ten minutes of talking. And for those people (laughs) that know us, know that does not happen very often. But like I was taking notes. And so first I was like, oh, my gosh, she's a woman. Well, first I was like, she's a Russian woman. And in my mind, there's no way a Russian woman is going to be like front lines sniper before an American woman. So I like I'm over here Googling like crazy on my phone while he's recording away. And it's true. Like we signed into act that women could be part of combat, which I don't even think it's like nearly to the extent that she was right after World War II, which was like 19. I don't remember what the year. I just looked it up. A little after 1940s. And so then I started Googling other questions. Like, for example, do you know when women got the right to vote in America? Yeah. When? 1919. Yeah, 1919. Actually, it was signed in 1920. Right. But women in the Soviet Union got the right to vote in 1917. Yes. Like, how? So women in America actually went through World War One in a similar fashion to the way they went through World War II or would help in World War II, meaning they went into the factories, started working those jobs that men had left. It's actually what started the ball rolling in the women's rights movement, especially towards women gaining the right to vote. I was Um, impressed. Kind of funny side story on that. Um, I told my students the other day, we were, we were, we're doing a unit on bowling and it, the irony of this is that women were actually gained the right to bowl in America in 1917 
two and a half years prior to them gaining the right to vote. So legally, women in America could bowl before they could vote. That's right. Well, that's good to know. So anyway, it was just fascinating. I think you did great with the story, babe. I think you gave her some like well-deserved credit and remembrance, which is the whole purpose of our podcast. We're wanting to share stories that are little known, little remembered to just, you know, give some credit to people of the past who have done pretty amazing things. And I think the fact that she killed, was it 309? 309. And I want to say she killed 309 Nazis. I know they probably weren't all Nazis because there were... You know, other people involved right. in World War II. It wasn't just us against the Nazis. Absolutely. But there, were, there were tons of countries that sent soldiers and, and some of them were forced to yeah. and be in the army and be in the military based on colonialism at that time. And um, so it's not unusual that you would have soldiers, but more than likely they were Nazis, fascists, as she put it, or just people who were in the army and had just fallen under the spell of what? Hitler and the German government at that time had to offer. So I think you did pretty awesome. I do love, I loved the part of the story about her and Eleanor Roosevelt. Like it's pretty amazing. Like this American woman who is prim proper did her duty as first lady. And then, but once her husband's passed away and she's visiting in Russia, which was probably, did you say the height of the cold war? I mean, it's right there. You're talking. So 15 years after world war two, 1960, you're right at the, like, the. it's not, it, it's just about the height, right? Many would call the early 1960s kind of the height of the Cold War because that is when we had the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1963, it was or ni- in the early 1960s, super close to, you know, nuclear war and um, those kinds of things. And so for her to go on a diplomatic tour at that time was a really big deal. And the fact that she was so insistent on finding her friend was also a bigger deal. So yeah, it was like the friendship. Yeah. So it was a beautiful story of a friendship. Absolutely. And what was, what I did find in some of the things that I read was that the reason not much is known about Pavlichenko is that the Russian government controlled the information that was going out to the world. So she really wasn't just, readily available for interviews or for, you know, like we have mass media today and people would have, uh, somebody like that would have been all over, you know, blasted on billboards and social media and so on. And we had lots of soldiers individually who were treated that way. They would do something heroic um, and then come back and basically be a propaganda tool for America. And they, but they weren't hidden. And, and everybody knew where they went and what they did. Um, John Bassalone, for example, was a, is a perfect example of that they, he actually came back, came home. Um, he was fighting in Japan or in, in the Pacific campaign for the Marines. And he actually had comic books written about him and comic strips and things of that nature. Like this was, so you're talking the social media of the day, right? Newspapers and magazines and stuff like that. Russia didn't necessarily do that. And so finding her, was not going to be easy. So they they really had to work hard to find a way to set the meeting up for these two to actually get together. Well, I love that they got a moment, like a moment to just like reconnect and re- like, I don't know. I th- it's probably my like getting yeah. all up in my feels, but like she led an exemplary life and Eleanor Roosevelt led an exemplary life. And the fact that they like formed this friendship and wanted to reconnect after so many years and they actually got to like it. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Makes my heart all warm and fuzzy. And and what's cool is when I read all that, it's like, 
I could just immediately start flashing back to friendships that I've had over the years that I still have of people that I know. I I, mean, I don't see that often, but when we get together, it's like, you know, let's catch up really quickly. And then we're right back. Like we were back in high school, back in college, whatever, you know, back to being goofy and um, those younger days and all that kind of stuff. So you, you, when you have those types of connections with people, it's kind of amazing. And what's so amazing about this to me as well is that you don't have email, you don't have text messaging, you don't have those types of things. So you don't only, have Facebook yeah. instant messages and the, you can't see pictures of each other's kids all day long every day. That's right. So there's like you there's no way that they like they could have the only way they would have stayed in touch would have been to write letters to each other. And there was no way at that time, especially with the Cold War and the exchange, the way that the Russian government kind of clamped down on information coming in and out of its country for them to have exchanged letters. Like yeah, those letters no would way. have been, what's it called when you take the black marker and mark out all the important- Oh, redacted, big yeah, time. That would have been redacted to the point of like, dear Eleanor, sincerely, right. blank. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it, it's kind of it's kind of amazing how they were able to just rekindle their friendship right away and then have that- bond. And so I I imagine having just reading some of the the stories about how what what happened when they got together that it was a lot like picture a a press conference where the two people that you're interviewing don't even look at each other, can't talk. They've got people standing right behind them, right beside them. They, you know, like a photo op. Yeah. Just a big photo op. How do you actually have a moment to be able to just talk and be yourself? And Pavlochenko you got to remember again, Russian government at that time, they scripted everything. Yeah. You weren't going to say anything, answer any questions without their knowledge. They didn't want you to complain about conditions in the country, nothing. So she was not only, you know, having to go and do this as a propaganda kind of moment, but also she was, you know, she was in fear. Right. Like there's a little bit of a fear tactic that goes into all of that with the Russian government at that time that said, we have to I have to watch what I say. If I say the wrong thing, I could be thrown in a prison and forgotten about for the rest of my life. Like I may not be able to go back home or or whatever. So um, it had to be like walking on eggshells, you know, and so the fact that they were able to slip away and there's again, there's no like. I wish there was some sort of fancy, cool story, like they played some trick on the guards and got away. <laughs> but basically, it just worked out to where they were able to finally have some time. And it wasn't just a moment. They it, they did have a chunk of time where they, it was awesome. just them. I think the whoever was with them, guarding them, finally kind of relented. And, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt was a very... Um, I'm going to get what I, I want to get my what, way yes. kind of a woman. Um, You're not married to one of those women at all. Oh, no, not at all. So uh, not surprising that she found a way to make this happen. And based on what I know about Pavlochenko's later years and how she really was never happy again, I just feel like this was one of those moments where she was probably got to be herself one more time Aww. and feel the way that she felt when she was a part of the military. Um, and again, a lot of that goes to the fact that, you know, mental illnesses and uh, PTSD and, and post-war traumatic, you know, how, how soldiers felt after the war and things that they experienced and stuff like that. You just didn't talk about that back then. No. You, the, those things didn't happen. Those weren't not conversations. You any Any interview you see with families of soldiers, especially who served 
in that era, in World War II, the Korean War, and even on into Vietnam, they really like their families will tell you that, you know, dad or grandpa really didn't like to talk about it. And they would always say that the heroes are the ones who didn't come home, stuff like that. So you didn't talk about it. You just suffered through it. There were, you, there was no, there was no veterans association, you know, affairs association or, or whatever to try and get you help. If you needed it, we are much, much more conscious of that now, but even that's a modern phenomenon to, to be honest with you. Yeah. Awesome. It was a great story, babe. Thanks. I'm glad it's our first episode. <laughs> yeah. I think it was a pretty good one. Yeah. So we hope everybody enjoyed listening. And we want to thank you for taking time out of your day to join us. If you've enjoyed listening, please remember to follow or subscribe, depending on which streaming service you prefer. Also, you can go follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok, where we are at Bald Bard Podcast. You can find us on the web at baldbardpodcast.com or email us at baldbardpodcast at gmail.com. Before we go, I'd like to leave you with the Ball Bard lesson of the day. I think this goes without saying these days, but it's super appropriate for this story. True friendships stand the test of time and never underestimate the power and determination of a woman. And as is better half, it's appropriate for me to try to get the last word in, which is we hope you enjoyed our episode and that you come back for our next episode of The Bald Bard and His Better Half. <laughs>